The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. So, good evening and welcome everyone again. If you came in late, um, I'm um, serving for Mark. My name is Kyoko Katayama. And this evening, I am going to talk about, as soon as I find my glasses, about generosity. And it's a really timely and heartening topic for me because I have been a recipient of a lot, a lot of generosity recently. Everyone hear me okay? So you probably saw me moving, walking a little awkwardly. I had a hip replacement surgery in July, and I couldn't walk very well. Um, and living alone with a rather big dog, it was a challenging situation. Also a house with a lot of stairs. And what made my recovery less lonely Less scary was the generosity of my friends, my neighbors, and my family. They brought me food. They walked my dog. They took me to doctor's appointments. And they visited me when, and lifted my spirit when I felt dark and discouraged sometime. So... For weeks and weeks, I was in the receiving end of others' kindness and generosity. So I, I, when I told a friend, one of the people who walked my dog, about generosity, I received. felt like I only received. He said, all the giving happened because you asked. It wouldn't have happened if you didn't. Your asking itself was a generous act that got the giving started. And at first it was hard to take in, perhaps because I felt indebted to all the kindness that I received. When we are preoccupied with pain and disability, albeit temporarily. Um, my own generosity was the farthest thing in my mind. But the more I reflected on what my friend said, the more it really rang true. Generosity is never a one-sided thing. You know, it took some effort to ask. It took courage to acknowledge my vulnerability and my needs. I had been mostly in a position of helping others. It was rather new for me. It was scary to ask something for me. What if they think it was too much? What if they wouldn't come through? And if they didn't, how would I take it? In the end, bigger than my fears, was a wish to trust in the goodness of my community and good enoughness of me. Well, they came through. Half dozen friends and neighbors agreed to walk my dog on rotation. And people signed up to bring me food. A friend stayed with me for three days when I first got home. A friend is here among us. I'm feeling very grateful. And she made sure that I was safe and my needs were met. So for several weeks, my dog and I were cared for by people who ordinarily um, are not in my life so intimately. It was a very intimate thing. In a way, asking was a leap of faith. I leaped. Or do I say lift? How do I pronounce it? 
leapt. I leapt. And I was caught in the safety net of my community. The net felt like made of golden threads. Each golden noju of the net made of individual person's good wishes. So giving this talk this evening is in gratitude for people's good wishes and their kind deeds. And even if you didn't help me directly, every time you had a kind thought or acted with generosity, in some indirect ways, it made a difference to me and to the world. I have no doubt about it. The Buddha taught that there are three factors in giving. And these are joy before giving, joy during, and joy after the giving. But for the factors of receiving, he had much more sobering and arduous guidelines. He said, The recipients are free of passions or are practicing for the subduing of passions, free of aversions or practicing for the subduing of aversions, and free of delusion or practicing for the subduing of delusion. These are the three factors of of the recipient. And it's because the the Buddha himself and the monks were entirely dependent on the lay people's uh, lay people who gave them food, their robes, and sometimes place to stay. Sometimes the monks numbered in hundreds. The care to care for the large number of the monks uh, must not have been a small feat for the people in the towns and villages. But at the time of the Buddha in India, there was already a strong culture of providing for the spiritual seekers. The Buddha was able to explore and attain enlightenment because of the generosity of others and also his willingness to receive. It's good to reflect on the fact that the Buddha had to eat, he had to drink water, and he had to be kept relatively safe from the elements, just like each of us. But as lay people living in 21st century America, we have different challenges and considerations about giving and receiving. We live in a culture of consumption and material abundance, where individualism and competition have been the historical values rather than community and collaboration. Can't see very well. It's so far away from the culture of India, where the practice of giving to support spiritual life was in the fabric of their everyday life. At the end of practice meeting like this, or at the end of the retreats, we hear what we call the Donna talk. Who hasn't heard that? Everybody heard that. So Donna is a Pali, Pali word that um, means virtue of generosity. The Donna talk encourages us to consider giving back to the center. At the core, though, it is an invitation to practice mindfulness about process of giving and receiving, to reflect on the values of receiving the teaching, values of having a physical center like this, and value of examining our own finances and time management in order to give. In the West, the Donna talk is necessary because we don't have the culture of freely giving and receiving. You know, we are not used to having good, wholesome things offered without a charge, as we do at Common Ground. And not being told whether, what, or how much to give 
make us feel uncomfortable? What's too much? What's too little? What if we have no money to spare despite appreciating what is given? Well, here's another situation. Let's say we're driving a car, well-fed and secure enough, a mind perhaps busy with to-dos of the day or lost in reveries, or perhaps we are on the way to common ground, eager to practice um, wholeheartedly on the cushion. Then we see a man holding up the homeless sign as we exit the highway. A stranger is begging for our generosity. The panhandler reminds us of a facet of reality of this samsara world. We feel uncomfortable. We avert our eyes. We make up a story to rationalize not giving, perhaps. And we are relieved when the light turns green, so we have to go anyway. Oh, next time, we might say to ourselves. Let's remember back to our inner experience the last time we saw a panhandler. What did you see? Did you really see? How did you feel? What did you do? It's easy to think of generosity as simply giving, usually with money or material things. It's usually the first definition in the dictionary. But if generosity is understood as simply giving without understanding the cyclical nature of giving and receiving, and without the hard quality of kindness and above all, without the freedom of release, then we end up with most, not just limited, but distorted meaning and practice of generosity. You know, generosity is meaningless if it were not in the context of community and relationships. Giving and receiving has no meaning if there aren't one another, if there aren't other life forms that also constantly give and receive. Think about the food you ate today. Creatures of sea, sky, air, and earth gave their life or their fruits so we could live. We breathe in the air that the trees exhale. The act of generosity partly comes from understanding our place in the world. We are not separate individuals doing separate giving. True generosity is not about exchange of commodities, of things. When we deeply understand how we are all connected, how we are all interbe, as in Thich Nhat Hanh would say, we see we are simultaneously giving and receiving. And waking up to this truth helps us give and receive with gratitude, humility, and more freedom. Gil Fronsdahl, a guiding teacher of um, Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California, talked of generosity as a spontaneous and natural expression of an open mind and heart. He said, when we are connected wholeheartedly with others and the world, it's not a matter of deciding to give. Giving simply flows out of us. Another aspect of generosity, the act of giving and receiving in release, is that the act not only has an impact on the state of our mind and heart in the immediate now, but it creates long-term karmic consequences, just like infinite ripples on the pond. 
Thich Nahan said, Imagine that I pour some tea from a teapot into an empty glass. When I drink the tea, it changes form. If I give a talk soon after drinking that tea, the talk will have a little bit of tea in it. So the tea is not just in the pot. It has a journey. It travels and has many forms. I had cups of espresso as I was working on this talk. <laughs> so you may have a little bit of taste of espresso in my talk. This is true for us all as well. Thich continues, We are not only the body, thoughts, and feelings we have right now. Every thought, word, and action we produce continues after our bodies have disintegrated. We don't need to worry about no longer existing. Our forms change, but nothing is lost. Whether the, the cloud has the form of a cloud, the rain, the river, or the sea, it continues on on its wonderful journey. When we give and receive with an open heart, trusting in the goodness of each other, the fruits of the giving and receiving continue on. I want to tell you a little story. Once I had, um, once we had a community conversation meeting on a rather difficult topic. Only a half dozen people showed up, about six or so. After we introduced ourselves, a, a woman began shedding tears. She cried quietly the entire two hours entire meeting without saying a word except once while others discussed the topic. A woman sitting next to, to her discreetly reached out and held the crying woman's hand. And the, the woman said softly, thank you. And she went back to crying. When the meeting was over, the woman blew her nose and began leaving. Another woman told her, and to the rest of the small group, I think you are crying for all of us. Not only the, the kindness of the woman extending her hand was known, the woman's willingness to come to the meeting and just be her crying self was acknowledged as her way of giving. Even though the topic of the conversation was painful, in the quiet giving and receiving, a healing seems to have happened. We don't know what will be the reverberating fruits of such mutual generosity and mutual receiving. What else could be more supreme giving than being willing to bear witness without judging? or reacting, and pay kind and wise attention to what is happening. Even when we have no material thing to give, even if we have very limited time to give, we can always give our willingness to bear witness. That's part of the reason why we practice, don't we? Paraphrasing the poet David White, the most generous act of giving comes from presence, from the understanding we are equal to the gifted nature of life. From the understanding we are equal to the gifted nature of life. From being awake in the presence of everything that lives within and without us. While I was at the rehab facility after the surgery, at 3 a.m. in the morning, I had the most terrible cramp in my leg with sharp, throbbing pain. So I pushed a button for help. A staff came. I, 
I don't know if she was a, a nurse or assistant. She came in and she looked puzzled at my contorted face. Do you want oxycodone? She yelled from some distance. I had just weaned myself from that powerful narcotic and I didn't want to go back to it. I declined and asked to have my leg massaged or adjusted to relieve the pain and please, some ibuprofen. She said she couldn't give me either one and asked again if I wanted oxycodone. I said no, and she left me. I felt so alone and scared. The cramp continued, and I was beginning to panic. So after a while, I pushed the button again, and a different nurse came. She said softly, She knew how painful a cramp can be. And she explained to me that the protocol was not to give massage to a person who just had a surgery for fear of blood clot. That's why she can't, she couldn't give that to me. And so we thought together what might help loosen the cramped muscles. And she got a warm, wet towel and wrapped my leg in it. And it felt wonderful. She said she needed to respond to another call, but she stayed by my side and held my leg for a half minute longer. Her kindness gave me space to breathe even though the spasm continued. Her attentive presence helped me to be more present for myself and muster courage to to see if I could lean into the pain rather than trying to pull away from it. Breathing into the pain, I saw that it was bearable. As I relaxed, the pain became just pain, something I can witness in the spaciousness of my awareness. So what was the fruit of the nurse's generosity? Not only she helped me in the immediate needs at that time, I learned the way to work with pain for the rest of my recovery. It was a valuable lesson. I was reminded of the difference a kindness could make. That was another reminder, great lesson. Generosity bears result both then and there and on into the future for both the giver and the receiver. So another result is that the experience enables me to tell you about it tonight. And by receiving the story, the nurse's generosity becomes a little bit part of you, just like Thich Nhat Hanh's tea. The Buddha said that dana was not limited to the giving of material things. The practice of the precept, for example, was also a type of dana. The practice of precept, the gift of protecting all beings from the harm of an unskillful act. Another aspect of generosity is that it is a spiritual practice. When we are faced with others' needs or our personal history of scarcity, we are confronted with where and how we hold back. We need to ask what keeps us from being generous. What keeps us? What are we afraid of? Where do we become closed and build a defensive wall so that the cycle of giving and receiving stops? Do we actually see that homeless person on the street or averting our eyes become so habitual that we stop seeing them? 
And when we stop seeing them, we stop seeing our fears. And in shutting down, we also disconnect from the seed of our generosity, that is, our inherent and undeniable goodness. There's a long history of deprivation and scarcity in my personal history. As a kid, I saved part of my lunch money in order to buy erasers for school. Our family pie was so small, no matter how you cut it, there just wasn't enough. It has taken me a long, long time to heal the pain of deprivation and deconstruct the beliefs that went with it. As I recovered last month, I also recovered a memory of my mother carrying me on her back to a hospital when I was 10. And my mother was a skinny 4'10", 4 feet and 10 inches, maybe shorter. She didn't have money to get a taxi. And that's the story of deprivation. But she walked two miles with me on her back so I could get a treatment for my injured leg. That's a story of heart's generosity that overcomes the story of scarcity. It's interesting that it came to me as I was recovering from my own injury. How easy it is to forget that we are really more capable of love than we ever thought, more capable of giving and more capable of receiving than we ever thought. Let's remember that. So let's get back to our man standing on the street corner holding that tattered sign of homelessness and deprivation. He makes us uncomfortable. He makes me uncomfortable. And we want the discomfort to go away, don't we? Do we then throw him out of our heart? What are we supposed to do? Don't we all want an answer to this? Who wants answer to this? <laughs> or maybe others have answers. Those who didn't raise hand, do you have answers? <laughs> oh, really? Yes? Great, wonderful. I hope to hear about it. Well, I truly, sincerely have no answer as to what you should do, except to view it as an invitation to use that moment to not shut down, to acknowledge his humanity, to not throw him out of our heart. What if we see him as a friend who stands there to help us wake up? He could be a bodhisattva or Jesus in disguise. The Buddha said a facet of generosity is to be fearless. It takes, it takes courage to be willing to acknowledge what we really see, what we really feel and think. All the fears and all the good wishes, all the rationalizations we make, let them be known, and let that experience of awareness guide us towards our next small step. So for me, that small step showed up as my willingness to see the person and acknowledge his existence. And sometimes it's a smile, a nod, a dollar, but more and more metta, constant good wishes for his safety and health. 
and freedom from suffering. For generosity to be truly a practice, it has to be something that is sustained over time, that we engage with regularity, that we involve our heart, our mind, our body. You know, one-time answer just doesn't bear fruit, whereas things that we repeat, things that are sustained in our body and heart, have lasting impacts. I love this reminder to never underestimate the power of small giving. The Buddha said, even if a person throws the rinsing of a bowl or a cup into a village pool or pond, thinking, may whatever animals live here feed on this, that would be a source of merit. Small giving could be holding a door to the person behind you, smiling and greeting people on our walks, rearranging the shoes at the entrance so people with disability won't stumble and have a clear passage, and on and on and on. It would be fun to brainstorm. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, You cannot do a kindness too soon because you never know how soon it will be too late. You cannot do a kindness too soon because you never know how soon it will be too late. So to conclude, I was going to summarize or my insight about generosity, but I decided to actually leave it open for you, for your further uh, and ongoing reflection and practice of generosity, freely giving and receiving and giving again. Instead, my last offering tonight is a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken, will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend.
only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Naomi Shihabnai. I was at, a, at a, a reading this spring when she came, and she said she actually experienced seeing the dead Indian uh, after a long bus ride, and everything she wrote in the poem really happened. So it came really from her body and her heart. So um, now it's time to hear people's answers, comments, reflections. Um, do we have a mic? So be sure to speak to the microphone. So is it on? Yeah, great. Okay, the person with the answer. Yes. <laughs> uh, for three years, I worked as an uh, interfaith uh, prison chaplain uh, in California with 5,000 inmates. And uh, so when you're talking about at street corners and that, uh, I guess I'd refer to people like that as under-resourced or perhaps the underclass. And when uh, uh, inmates came into my office to see me, I learned rather quickly that it wouldn't be like any of you coming in, you know, just to talk, or that there was always an angle, something that they were going to hit me up for uh, sooner or later. And so I had this dilemma, how do I not develop the, the attitude of correctional staff, of just seeing them as pieces of, you know what, and to see them as human beings. And something that worked for me is, and as they were sitting across from me, that, um, that there were little, little boys swinging their legs, kicking their legs on a chair. And that helped me to remember that when they were young, when they were in first grade, they probably didn't raise their hand. And I tried to remember that uh, when they were in first grade, they didn't raise their hand and say, you know, this is what I want to happen. Or in my case, um, I didn't raise my hand and say, well, I hope to be divorced after 20 years of marriage, we don't, we don't uh, plan these kind of things. So that helped me to uh, retain their humanity, to see them as having some dignity. So back to your street corner question, then when you come off the highway, I have seen people give money to some of the people, and that's been inspiring to me. So when I am not able to give, or for whatever reason, if I'm having my, you know, I know they're going to go and drink uh, episode, or thoughts that go through my mind, I know that someone else will give, and then there's another day when my heart opens more and I will give. So um, as, a, as a chaplain and a former teacher, I couldn't reach all the inmates, all the students, and know that someone else will come along. So and that's where, this, where we're all together. So I still avert my eyes, though. So you've kind of inspired me to see if I can uh, look in the eyes, and I don't know what from there. But uh, as a male, it's probably safer for me than for some women in here. So I think I've gone on way too long. Well, thank you so much. Um, so, so looking at people in the eyes, is um, it could be um, potentially uh, not a comfortable thing for the person who is looked at. I, I think um, in Native American community, um, that's a little too much. It's, it's not a kind thing to do. So, and there's that too, but it's it's more that I'm willing to look, not necessarily looking the person in the eyes, but I'm willing to look to say you're here, you're part of my world, it's part of this reality, yeah, and yeah, thank you so much, thank you so much for your work in helping others, yeah. Um, other answers. So for that uh, question in particular, um, you don't always have to give money. Sometimes giving an inspiring word to someone can really uplift their day, too, um, depending on how much time you have. Um, it's nice to, to like, give, I don't know, maybe just an ear, too. They want to speak. Just listen to them. Or even give them a hug or something. Just show some love to them. I think that's pretty useful. So... 
you know, uh, what is your name? Gary. Gary. Gary said, you know, the idea that, oh, if I give him money, he's just going to drink it, goes through our mind. It's a common thought that we have. But uh, it's just our thought. We don't know. We don't know what, what they do with the money. And I think we need to let go um, what they do with that. It's really a release and giving. I go in and out of being able to face the numbers of persons I see asking for something every day. And sometimes I have had um, a hostile, I mean, kind of really scary experience with somebody on the street that regularly uh, middle-aged and older white ladies are very commonly accosted. Um, But when it works best for me, uh, is um, if I happen to be organized enough to be carrying a can of sardines. I tell you, sardines, although I have had somebody, when I handed them sardines, say, I hate fish. And that, <laughs> that, was, uh, that was only happened once, but it's kind of a surprise. So I'm ready for that the next time. Well, give it to somebody who likes fish, I would say. But in any case, because it doesn't spoil, and it's protein. And one time in Loring Park, I was eating my lunch, and I was eating sardines and crackers, something I'd been thrown out of common lunchrooms for in the past. (laughs) Um, But I was eating sardines, and there were two um, Native gentlemen sitting on a bench, and they begged me for the oil of the sardines. They begged me for it, and I gave them the rest of my crackers and the oil in the can, and that's where I learned that, because even the oil is valuable to a person that has nothing. So then you come to the problem of, am I going to buy the $4 sardines that I love, or am I buying the $1.50 sardines? So then that becomes an issue. It's a, it's, it's ta- it's a tangle. But, but I'd say that that's something you might think of because it doesn't spoil. And, you, know, you could try that. Where? Uh, I'm Sherry, and I don't have an answer to this perplexing problem, although it really does perplex me um, whenever it happens on the street corner. But I just want to make a reflection that I find as I get older that the more energy I spent in listening when I have a spontaneous urge to give something to someone just softens me. And I think that I'm uh, softer now than I was 10 years ago because I have this practice which reminds me about loving kindness and compassion and I'm very grateful for it. I feel uh, I feel like I'm a deeper person because of it and it's easier for it to just flow. Mm-hmm. So uh, that feels like a, a very rich legacy. Mm-hmm. Grateful to be here. Uh, well I had a similar experience with the sardines. I Mark had recommended or thought expressed that he would give like protein bars or something so I thought okay I'll try that so I got some Lara bars and <laughs> I gave to and he took it and and then another day I saw the same guy and so he was still begging so I offered him a Lara bar and said no thank you well <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're fussy you're probably not that hungry so but um, so that wasn't particularly positive, but uh, <laughs> I could I could let it go. Um, and now I really don't feel like I can afford to give much of anything other than, like you say, pay, look or pay it and just experience it. That's standing there. But m- many years ago, when I was also really poor, even worse, um, I was walking into a I don't know if it was a dry cleaner or what over in Uptown, and a very large Native American guy came up and, and asked me 
for something. And I, I said, no, you know, and I just kept going. And I knew when I came back out, he was still out there. And I thought, ooh, you know, I wonder what's going to happen. So I walked out, and he'd, he totally left me alone. And I was so impressed with that, that he totally left me alone, that as I was driving off on Lake Street, and he was walking the same direction, but not towards me or anything, but just parallel to me, I pulled over, and I told him to come over, and I gave him what I had. Just It was only like a dollar and a half or something. But And I tell you, I... He was so grateful for that, and I was so moved by that that it was the it was the connection. It wasn't the dollar fifty, but there was something. I mean, I just cried when I when I drove off, and I felt so connected to that person and his gratitude for such a piddly amount of money. So I think it depends on the situation, um, what we do. And so that's why the alertness or paying, uh, being aware of what's actually happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it may be a person you can give to. It may not be a person you can give to however you, however you are right then, just so we know how we are right then. Mm-hmm. And um, it can be wonderful, and it can be kind of icky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not about, quote-unquote, them. It's about how we are relating in that moment when we see him. You know, what happens to our heart? What's happening in, in our mind? I have a good friend who is a bus driver, and he mentioned to me that uh, Minnesota was a magnet for people in need because maybe we have better services. And I have noticed, despite the fact the economy is supposed to be firing on all cylinders, that there's a lot more people begging than there was just two years ago. Um, and so I've had problems, you know. It's like, oh, maybe I, sh- I should just be giving money to an organized charity, which is going to you know, see that it gets to the right people. Well, we know there's some charities that haven't done that. I had an experience recently. I came off of an exit ramp, and there was someone begging there, and the person in front of me was very slow in leaving and taking the left turn. And I got frustrated, and I said, Oh, come on. And... But I got stuck there, and this homeless person was there, and it forced me to see him and look at him, and I could see a lot of wear and care on his face. So I rolled down the window, and I says, what's your story? And he says, my family doesn't have enough to eat. So I gave him a 20, and... I felt an emotional response right as I did it. Not until that moment, but after the 20 was gone. And then I made the turn, and there was this truck driver who was in the next lane over, turned over, and he honks, and he says, that's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Mm. And I started to cry. I wish I could say that I just automatically give a 20 every time it happens but uh, I'm not there yet however I liked the way you talked about being present I was forced to be present at that moment he was right next to me the light was red and now I can make a choice to do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you This talk, these questions, these ideas, the things, this is very rich. And one of the things that comes up for me is how much of what we do, how much of what I do at times is is motivated principally by a desire to rid myself of discomfort. And, um, and it's, it's, it's sticky. It's a catch-22 because there's mm-hmm. this physical 
good deed that can be done that has tangible benefits to this individual. And, of course, there's an opportunity to do a good deed and do a good deed. And at this point in my life, I don't, I don't so much look for the prescription as to what to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like I've kind of let go of, of needing the prescription. I've only, the only commitment I make to myself is just to be present in that moment and feel my desire to run away or feel my desire to help or feel whatever is there. And, I've, and, I, and, I, and I trust that if I hold that commitment in that moment and allow myself to feel what's there and I'm present, then the wisdom that gives life to all things will let me know what needs to happen in that yes. moment. And will let me, you know, uh, act, give or not give. Sometimes it's wise to give. Sometimes it's not wise to give. Sometimes it's wise to, to, to roll my window up and drive off. But if I'm caught up in the story I've noticed of who this, a story that isn't actually what's taking place, but a story that's papancha in my mind, then I'm less available to be present to what's in front of me and, and see or rather hear what the, the, the way forward is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> I wasn't going to say anything, but I have to be honest with myself and be honest with everybody here to say that I don't really quite know what to do in those circumstances, but I usually don't do anything because I have been scammed so many times that I look at almost every request as potentially a scam and possible and quite likely a scam. I met a man at a gas station one day and he said, that's my van over there and I have my grandchildren in there and I'm trying to get them out to Valley Fair. I don't have any money for gas. So I said, pull your van in here and we put $20 worth of gas in it. <laughs> he didn't have any kids in the van. He, he went around the block and he was you know, talking to somebody else, trying to give them a story. And so that's just, that happens. And I just don't want to keep uh, enabling that kind of behavior. I consider myself to be fairly, uh, I'd say quite generous. I give freely. But as Tom said over there, too, I think, you know, when I look at a person, and this is something that I had actually heard one time from people who work in the field, is that I'm better off just not giving that person anything, offering them the help, say, you know, if you're you're hungry, you can go to the mission, and they will feed you. And then I donate to the mission to make sure that they have resources, or I donate to whatever else it is. So, uh, I'm. That's my take. I just tell you that, as as generous as I think that I am, I I can't do this. When people come to me in the in the market or on the street and say, "Can you spare a dollar?" I say, "No, I can't help you at this point." Mm-hmm. And it's just because I have been burned, and I I I, I hear that. Some of them have story. I mean, some of them really are probably hurting. I know that. I just don't know how to separate them out. And I, so I try to offer, if you're hurting, this is an alternative for you to go and get help somewhere else. So I don't know. That's it. I just wanted to let you know that maybe not everybody in this room is uh, quite as, as giving, but that's my place. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. And you're still a generous person, even though in this kind of situation you have your decisions. Mm-hmm. Good evening. Um, I wasn't going to say anything either. <laughs> uh, this is a very, it feels like a very complicated piece. And I think where my head goes to is that we're living in a system that really produces a lot of vulnerable people and also people who feel like they've got to run some kind of game in order to make it through the day. 
And, of course, they've got leadership that also runs a game, too. So um, one of the things that I value about this practice and the things that it encourages, um, it, I think it has empowered me to be more discerning mm-hmm. so that when I hear a story, a lot of times I think I know how authentic it is or not. But I think there's two things, at least two things that need to happen. Um, There are a lot more vulnerable people who are desperate. And I know how much money I kind of waste on things that I really don't need because we're also kind of programmed to consume and buy, Mm -hmm. to feel good about ourselves. So there's a whole lot that's going on Mm -hmm. that... Um, there's not a real short-term solution. There are people that are hungry right now in this moment, and maybe I can do something in this moment, but I also need to be living a life that somehow challenges the system and is about transformation, deep transformation within me and also in the environment that I live Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last comment. I want to thank Lewis for what you said. I think that's very true. We do have vulnerable people, and I don't. I personally don't know how to separate them out. But it would be nice if we could come up with some way to to help people and. Other places have done things. Uh, San Francisco, several years ago, had these little chits, you know, little pieces of paper that was a ticket. And you could go down and get these tickets from some agency and pass them out. When people ask you, say they're hungry, they give them this ticket. And they can then go to a restaurant and get get something. So that's just one possible idea. But uh, I agree with Lewis that... You know, I want to help the people who need the help. And I, I think we maybe really need to have a conversation in our society as how we can do that on an individual level. Because certainly the big guys aren't always doing it. Thank you. Uh, maybe the last one. Okay. We're talking about um, giving to people. Um, what has been coming up for me is some of what Lewis has talked about with the fact that we have this society that has created all this inequity. And what I've been having to work on through the whole talking of giving to people is um, my resentments towards folks who have a lot who don't share and who are creating more and more of this unevenness. And I actually have to be very um, mindful and be kind to those people because um, I do have the resentment. So it's, it's, a, it's sort of a, you know, all over edge. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for a really rich and insightful and honest sharing. It was, you've been very generous indeed. <laughs> uh, okay, before we do announcement, I just want to dedicate the merit of our practice for benefit of all being everywhere. May all beings be free. May all beings be at ease. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.